It's the Americhicks with Kim Munson, the most important story. The Washington Times said the patriotic Americans donated U.S. flags after protesters raised the Mexican flag over the ICE facility. The latest in politics and world affairs. It is not fair that, that people come in illegally and they have three square meals a day, TVs and all. There's something that is wrong with this picture. And opinions and ideas that prepare you to tackle the day ahead. When we get into conversations with people, you can get real bombastic with each other because you haven't read it. You don't know what you're talking about. It's the Americhicks dissecting issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left. So if you understand the issue, then you can have calm, reasonable conversations. Agree or disagree, let's have a conversation. Indeed. Welcome. I am Kim Munson. We're going to have some important conversations today. Uh, We're going to talk with Tom Goodfellow in the second segment about what they're doing up in Grand Lake this next week, celebrating U.S. Constitution Week. Uh, I would encourage everyone to uh, get their constitutions out and read it. It doesn't take that long. And uh, in celebration of this, this piece of parchment that these guys put these ideas down on and said, you know, we're going to protect the rights of everyday people to go after uh, their life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. And as uh, so we'll talk with Tom in the second segment, third and fourth segment, Chris Jacobs. He is a public policy expert. He has a new book coming out, How Medicare for All Will Wreck America's Healthcare System and Its Economy. And so I'm excited to chat with him about that in segments three and four. Uh, before we get into that, though, you know, we are looking at these issues as freedom versus force, force versus freedom. And when you get right down to it, people like to have freedom, and uh, we need to protect it. And this whole force thing seems to hide behind different words. And, and many times they use uh, our compassion, our care for others, to uh, subtly, uh, forcibly take money from us and then pick winners and losers on, on who, gets to get, who, gets, uh, who gets the money and who doesn't. And so, again, freedom versus force, force versus freedom, socialism ultimately comes down to force. And uh, when we're looking at uh, these uh, public policy programs, uh, you know, you may feel good that you think that you're doing something, but what are those results? And so we look at those every day. And uh, so first of all, I want to say thank you, Producer Steve. Always great to have you behind the boards. Good morning. (laughs) Don't sound so excited. Oh, I am. I am. And I'm sitting here. My brain is, you know, congratulations to you. You get my brain moving because it's the first time this morning it has budged. Force versus freedom. Both terms, I think, again, the onus is on us to do our job in getting people to understand both terms. Because you you said you throw the word out there kind of not flippantly. That's not the right term, but freedom. Well, they take that for granted. We take that for granted. We do. It's become a way of life. And we assume that, oh, this is just the way it is around the world. It is not. And, there's, and we assume that there's no risk to freedom here. But we're seeing in, in some ways it's almost uh, there's this attempt to, to uh, go after freedom, kind of death by a thousand cuts. And that's why we continue to talk about what's happening here in Colorado and nationally. So thank you, Steve, and the, the rest of the team, Zach, Patty, Keith, and Charlie. Appreciate your support, your good work. And to each of you listeners out there, thank you. I totally appreciate you. You have a purpose. You're treasured. You're valued. And so today, go out, strive for excellence, do something for heart, soul, mind, and body every day. And, uh, you know, the day kind of takes care of itself, Steve, when, when that happens. So since we're going to be talking about health care, I thought, you know, who should I go to for quotes? And, of course, Dr. Ben Carson. 
a brain surgeon. Of course, now he's the head of HUD uh, under the Trump administration. But uh, Ben Carson said, I started reading about people of great accomplishment, and it dawned on me suddenly that the person who has the most to do with what happens in your life is you. He's such an inspirational guy. Just every time he opens his mouth. But I'm thinking with the challenge he has right now doing what he's doing, being a brain surgeon. Uh, he it's is, probably easy he to is, compared to this. Yeah, he assesses people that he's working with. Do you have a brain <laughs> in, <laughs> well, gov- I- <laughs> in government? What a challenge. Well, and uh, hopefully all of you know his story, but there's a great movie with Cuba Gooding uh, called The Gifted Hands. And it is the story of Ben Carson's life. And uh, he grew up in the inner city. Uh, his mother could not read. And uh, she turned. She finally said, she turned the TV off and she said, I'd like a book report from you boys. She had two boys uh, every week. And uh, Ben Carson ended up uh, being a brain surgeon and his brother an engineer. And uh, he certainly is an inspiration. Uh, so, I, uh, are you ready for the funny? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's a, it's a good one. Okay. On a recent visit to the doctor, a Denver Boulder politician was asked by the doc if he exercised. And the politician replied, oh, yes, and listed the exercises that he does every day. He jumps to conclusions, climbs the wall, drags his heels, makes mountains out of mohills, bends over backward, runs around in circles, puts his foot in his mouth, goes over the edge, and beats around the bush. There you have it. So... Let's see. Yesterday was 9-11. The girls came over last night, and we had some of the great Hooters uh, barbecue shrimp, and I got some. It was really, really good. But we each went around, and we told our story, or a story, about 9-11. And uh, I find it really interesting here. Ilhan Omar, remember? She was quoted several months ago that she said on 9-11, some people did something. Something, yeah. Yes, so, yesterday, Nicholas Harris Jr. wants Representative Ilhan Omar and the squad to know exactly who those some people are that perpetrated the something that took the life of his mother and nearly 3,000 other people 18 years ago. The New Jersey restaurant uh, re- resident lost his mother, Frances, in the 9-11 terror attacks. It rip, it, so he ripped the Minnesota congresswoman on Wednesday during a read, reading of the victims' names at Ground Zero after Omar's infamous remarks earlier in the year in which she described the most horrific attack to ever occur on American homeland simply as some people did something. And many of you probably saw this, but Harris Jr. said, Today I am here to respond to you exactly who did what to whom. Uh, And he sported a shirt with Omar's words and was met with some applause from a crowd of families and relatives who'd gathered for the ceremony. Madame, uh, objectively speaking, we know who and what was done. There is no uncertainty about that. Why your confusion? He continued, on that day, 19 Islamic terrorists, members of al-Qaeda, killed over 3,000 people and caused billions of dollars in economic damage. Is that clear? And uh, good for him, Steve. Good for him for doing that. I heard it, and my first impulse was to record it. So we could play it this morning, but I did not do that. So I'm glad you have the uh, transcript there. He, it's, it's something to see because of the passion that he injected into it and the common sense and in, in his bluntness, it was something that needed to be said. And, you know, that was 18 years ago, and you had shared with me after the show yesterday uh, a little TV clip about a woman that said, you know, what has happened in the last 18 years? 
You know, 18 years ago, everybody was flying the flag. You know, now we have out here at the ICE facility in Aurora, uh, people went and, and went onto that uh, private property and took down the American flag, took down the Colorado flag, and uh, stomped on the American flag and uh, put the Mexican flag up on those poles. How is that, that that happened in 18 years? And I think that we all have to take a gut check and say, what are we doing to make sure that we uh, preserve this American idea? And we're not perfect. We understand that. But it seems like the people that want to take, take down America, they focus on those imperfections and they're, and instead of the great, beautiful thing about the American idea of individuals having these rights of life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. Steve? Yeah, that long, young lady, her name escapes me right now. Right now, she was um, from MRC TV, and she uh, compiled a list of about six different things that have changed since the days following 9-11 versus today. And let's be blunt. I'm going to be blunt. I hope it doesn't offend you. But right in the middle of those 18 years was eight years of the Obama administration and the division that that administration churned out month after month, year after year. And, you know, the question was asked, what has changed? And that's one other thing. Uh, this guy who promised to fundamentally change America, he did. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the events that she or the items that she ran off on that list and again it's 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 audio that maybe i need to uh acquire so that we can play it back at a future date but it just makes you think well and it comes down once again to freedom versus force so what you're describing is the division that was occurred and one of the things that that under the obama administration happened but but i also well it really a lot of it happened under the obama administration regarding the division and that was this whole term of intersectionality which tried to define people by groups so you you become um instead of that individual you identify with a group and then that allows you to look at a different group and define all the people in that group that way and we had made we were making tremendous progress Regarding, uh, I think, in race relations uh, and, and individuals being able to, to step forward. And, and so there was a lot of division that was sown at that time. And I don't think they ever thought that that, that, um, that agenda was going to stop because I think they thought that Hillary Clinton was going to win. Well, here comes Donald Trump. And you talk about a disruptor. This guy is disrupting everything. And the, uh, I want to mention another point that we talked about yesterday, and that is Robert Mueller. That Robert Mueller actually was head of the FBI after 9-11. And instead of searching for truth and um, you know, trying to protect the American people, it looks like that they were squelched the truth. And in fact, the terrorists and, and well, um, Saudi, um, Saudis that probably had something to do with the 9-11 attacks instead of being brought forward and questioned and treated as potential terrorist criminals, they were escorted out of the country under the Mueller FBI. So when we look at that back then, we, Cheryl Ackeson, we had her on, and under the Mueller FBI, she was spied upon, and, uh, an individual, uh, a free individual here, a citizen of America, and she was a reporter for CPS, CBS, and she was spied upon. And then you have Mueller doing this whole Mueller investigation for two years. They found nothing. 
millions of dollars. We as Americans must realize that, that these people do not have everyday hardworking people's best interests in mind. And so we need to, first of all, realize that, identify it, and then we need to calmly then be talking with our friends and our family because this American idea is so important to protect. Steve, a last thought on that? Well, my question, you know, after the show was over, I ran into you. Once I read up a little bit more on what Mueller was up to uh, at that point, post-9-11, and the, everything started turning t- to point towards the Saudi government and how he went out of his way to blunt any really productive investigation. What was his motivation? And the only thing I can think of was money. Certainly the Saudis had enough to spread around. And well, what else would, would motivate a guy in that position to do something like that? Well, you know what, Steve? I think we're going to find out. I think that the, uh, the layers are being peeled off the onion, and I think that we're going to find out. But this American idea is important to protect, and we need to understand it. And in order to understand it, we need to read it. We need to celebrate it. And we're going to go to break. When we come back, Tom Goodfellow and a whole team of people, volunteers up in Grand Lake, Colorado. This will be, I think, their eighth um, uh, U.S. Constitution Week celebration up there. And uh, he's on the line, and we'll talk a little bit about that. And um, one other thing, before we do that, I actually wanted to make sure that you know about something on Monday night that is occurring, and that's down here. In uh, right at Water's Edge Winery, Jason McBride and I and Jeff Hirsch, who is the author of the Stock Traders Almanac, are going to do a nuts and bolts uh, presentation over at Water's Edge Winery. And it's going to be a lot of fun. You're going to learn something. And that's one of the things, Steve, we always do is we want to help people, you know, learn things so that they can be more successful in all aspects of their life. So it will be nuts and bolts. It's on uh, Monday night. And you can go to my website, americhicks.com, and sign up. And uh, also you can go to chickspresidential.com and sign up there as well. So we're going to go to break. We have Tom Goodfellow on the line, and uh, we'll be right back. At Hooters, you can watch the games with all your buddies. And when your buddies are the world-famous Hooters girls, there's always plenty of ice-cold beer and those craveable wings that'll knock your taste buds into next Tuesday. Hooters girls know plenty about football, but we really know the fans who live for it. So hang out with all your buddies all season long at Hooters, your official hangout for game day. Catch all the games at Hooters and enjoy a butter Bud Light draft with 10 boneless wings, just $10. Dine for two with the pitcher and nachos, just $20. You want to succeed, so you need to dress for the job, event, or relationship that you seek. For over 30 years, entrepreneur, stylist, and Americhick Kim Munson has been helping women look their very best. And guys, Kim can help you with made-to-measure shirts that fit great and you'll love to wear. Guys and gals, if you want to up your game and freshen your look, email Kim at Americhicks.com. For your initial style consult, Kim at Americhicks.com. You'd like to get in touch with one of Kim Munson's sponsors, but you can't recall their phone number. Find a full list of advertising partners on Americhicks.com. Hey, welcome back. I'm Kim Munson. Let's have a conversation. Thrilled to have on the line with me Tom Goodfellow, my friend. He is uh, kind of the chief of all these great volunteers that are heading up the U.S. Constitution Week celebration in Grand Lake. Tom Goodfellow, welcome. Thank you, Kim. Thank you for having us. Definitely. So you guys are busy up there, aren't you? 
we're putting some final touches on uh, on some things, and um, I uh, there's a couple things I like to tell tell your tell your listeners uh, when we get to that point. Okay. Well, the uh, the website is GrandLakeUSConstitutionWeek.com, and that has a complete list of what's going on up there. Uh, on set on Friday, there will be a meet and greet Friday evening with Kevin Sorbo, and we are doing a giveaway. That's a value. We have uh, four tickets, uh, there, and uh, it's a package of four tickets that we are giving away. It's a, a $300 value, and uh, folks that, uh, well, whoever wins that will get to go to the meet and greet on Friday evening, and they'll have uh, with Kevin Sorbo, and they will be uh, having VIP seating on Saturday at the main event, right? That's correct. That's correct, and we're excited to have him. Um, there are just a couple of highlights I wanted to mention, and I, because you touched on it, um, this year what I like about our theme is we're going right right after the critics of the Constitution, and we're we're going right to their gut. And uh, we have Thomas Cranwitter on Monday, who's going to ask uh, the question: Is the U.S. Constitution racist? That's been coming up in the past. Tuesday, we're um, we have. Um, um, an eyewitness pr- perspective on socialism. We have three people coming from LPR who actually lived in the socialist uh, countries, and they're going to tell us what they think of socialism. So uh, we're excited about that. And then uh, Thursday, which you've had Rob Nadelson on before, he's going to be talking to us about the Electoral College and and, uh, and the why. And speaking of the why, I think the thing that's always missing in education is they can certainly tell you the mechanics and the process, but they never tell the why, mm-hmm. why our founders did what they did. And that's what's missing in education, and that's what I love about Constitution Week, because we always provide the why. And um, so we're, we hope you come up. Well, if and it comes up, it's good. It's going to be, and you know, I actually say Grand Lake is where God shows off. It is so beautiful up there. And then uh, Friday will be the meet and greet with Kevin Sorbo. And then Saturday is it's always a big day. Uh, and you'll have this fabulous parade. Uh, Kevin will speak. Then uh, Peggy Mann and two other bands you are going to have a music festival. And uh, then the Kansas City Barbecue Society will be having a competition. How many, do you know how many um, different um, uh, barbecue companies are coming out. We have, um, I understand there's going to be 40 teams, and there um, is, I think, 14 vendors, meaning those are the ones that will actually be serving it. Last year we uh, went, ran short on that. Uh, we put it together in 37 days and made a few mistakes, but we've uh, corrected those mistakes, so we aren't going to run out of barbecue this year. <laughs> and we're closing off two, we're closing off Grand Avenue, and uh, we'll be serving beer and wine. So it's going to be a really fun day. It's going to be a great day. And then uh, you top that off with a fabulous fireworks display over the lake. So it will be a great time. Best one in the state. Well, probably best one in the country, I would say. So Tom Goodfellow, <laughs> thank you so much. And to uh, to get into the drawing for those tickets, for the Kevin Sorbo meet and greet and VIP seating the next day, go to my website, americhicks.com, sign up there. And then to get all the information, it is GrandLakeUSConstitutionWeek.com. Thank you, Kim. I'll see you next Friday. All right. Okay, Bye. thanks so much. And uh, let's go to some more headlines here. 
Um, Steve, you and I both, you know, Patty does such an amazing job on putting together all of these, these different things out there. And it's difficult to choose because there's so many important things to talk about. And many times she goes to Complete Colorado as well as I do, which is a, a news aggregator. And they update three times a day. And they, uh, they take headlines and stories from all over the state. And then they also have uh, original content if you click on the banner ad at the very top. But on a national level, this is amazing. I saw this come across the wire yesterday. The Supreme Court is allowing Trump asylum restrictions to take effect, ending the Ninth Circuit injunctions. In a major win for the Trump administration, the Supreme Court issued an order late Wednesday ending all injunctions that have blocked the White House's ban on asylum for anyone trying to enter the U.S., by traveling through a third country such as Mexico without seeking protection here. The Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, long a liberal bastion that has been aggressively reshaped into a more moderate court by the Trump administration, handed the White House a partial victory in the case on Monday by ending the nationwide injunction against the asylum policy. However, the Ninth Circuit kept the injunction alive within the territorial boundaries of the circuit, which encompasses California, Arizona, Alaska, Hawaii, Montana, Nevada, Idaho, Guam, Oregon, and Washington. The Supreme Court's order was not a final ruling on the policy's merits, but does allow the policy to take effect nationwide, including the Ninth Circuit, while the case makes its way through the courts, the lower courts. Only Justices uh, Sonia Sotomayor and Ruth Bader Ginsburg dissented. Now, why this is important is... You, we, there may be laws, there may be things that are put in place, and there may be a reason for doing that. And then what happens is you have PBIs, politicians, bureaucrats, and interested parties that then take something that it was not even intended to, to do, and um, they, they morph it into something that ultimately this, I think, has hurt Americans. And my understanding of the law, um, Steve, is that if... Somebody came to the border. Our law said if somebody came to the border and it was not like Mexico that, 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 um, you know, that was on our border, but they came from a, a country not, that did not um, you know, have a boundary with us, that then they had a, a more of an opportunity to, um, to claim asylum, saying that they were persecuted. And they could come into the country. There would be a court date. We actually saw a number of non-governmental organizations that make a lot of money off of this. They're paid by the government government to uh, interface with these asylees. And then those people disappear into the fabric many times. And so what Trump is saying is, is that they need to seek asylum first in the country that they come to, which is Mexico. And we've seen Trump continue to put pressure on Mexico to do something about it. So it's a kind of a two-pronged approach, but it looks like it's starting to be effective because I think I saw a number just recently that um, those trying to cross the border uh, the la- this last month that was down 56%. And when we talk about freedom versus force, whenever you, you, can, you can take money from, two, from somebody in two different ways. You can stick a gun in, in their gut and say, give me all your money, or you can use public policy taxation uh, to take money from people as well. Now, I think we all agree that there is a certain amount of public services that we need to pay for, like our roads and our bridges and, uh, you know, some things like that that we would 
uh, and, and uh, of course, national defense to protect us. And then when we're protected or we have our roads and bridges that we can move about, we can go after our life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. But when you have excessive taxation, when you have um, policy that is coming in and forcibly taking your money and giving it to someone else, that means that you have less of that money in your pocket. You have less freedom to spend your money as you want. And the other thing is, is government is never has to be accountable to their results. And so when we are bringing people into the, or letting people come into the country and getting on to our, these entitlement programs, and which lives off of the government dole, uh, that in essence is taking a bit of your freedom forcibly to then use on these programs or to let people come into our country illegally and uh, become um, in many times uh, dependent on the government. So, Steve, quick comment on that before we get to Jason. I just so appreciate the, you know, the overturning of the Ninth District Court ruling. And uh, hang on a second here. Let's let's uh, let's give the guy his due. Uh, Circuit Court District uh, uh, Judge uh, is John no, Tigger. Yeah, Tigger or Tigger, uh, Tigger. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> yeah, E or two. But there's a logic to our laws, and the way he, what he did was basically usurp that logic. Because he's on the Ninth Circuit, right? And, and if Mexico, if you envision it geographically as the funnel from all those Central American countries or even South American countries. It's like if you're not, if you haven't asked for asylum there on that ground, on that geography, then, you know, at our border, you're not going to get it here either. And that's mm-hmm. the logic. Mm-hmm. And, and basically, again, they usurped that logic and therefore with their agenda just messed everything up. So he usurped it. And then Congress has not done something to actually change that law. And so Trump is doing everything he can. And I think Trump gets up every day. And he knows that he works for the American people. And some days I am not quite sure how he, he does it with all the attacks that come at him. But uh, yeah, I think he cares about the American people and their life, their liberty, their pursuit of happiness. And uh, another person that really cares about everyday people thriving and flourishing is Jason McBride with Presidential Wealth Management. Jason, it's good to talk to you this morning. Boy, you're really nice. Thank you. <laughs> well, I, I know that that is true. And uh, I think the other day I, I got you just a little bit. And so I thought, you know, I, I, I have to let, let everybody know you really are in the business of helping people thrive and flourish. But I wanted to ask you about another headline that uh, Patty had on here. The Trump administration, it looks like they want to privatize Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, which is, uh, you know, that they're in the mortgage business. And uh, so... It seems like some of the headlines are Trump wants to make it harder for minorities to buy houses because he's racist. What would you, how, what, how do you reply to that? Well, I don't think that's uh, the case at all. Um, I think that they're trying to uh, undo the takeover of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac because uh, they no longer need to be uh, coddled by the government at this point. Uh, you know, they, they've paid back what the government gave them to bail them out. Uh, it's time for them to go back out into the quasi-private market and not be officially on the government dole anymore. When were they privatized? Do you remember, Jason? Yeah, oh yeah, of course. They uh, they got... Uh, uh, Was it back in 2008 well, or... Yeah, they, well, they became unprivatized back in uh, in 
uh, 07, 08, when we had the giant uh, mortgage meltdown, uh, they were having some huge uh, problems, and that's when the government uh, pretty much took them over during that meltdown. Well, and one thing on that meltdown, if I remember right, that the, the laws are, had been relaxed or the rules and regulations had been relaxed regarding uh, giving loans. We got into that, that whole junk bond uh, situation where people were not having to put, you know, put as much money down. And, uh, and so it was government policy. I want to say it was under the Clinton administration where they relaxed the, the rules and the regulations on Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae. And then uh, what happened is, is um, housing prices infl- inflated. People were qualifying or not qualifying so much for the loans that they got. They weren't putting that much money down. And so when things started to go south, they just walked and left those houses. But I think it was under, like, the policy, I think, under Clinton that started that whole thing, if I remember Well, right. it, it was. Uh, and they got into trouble. It was because of government interference, Kim, uh, Fannie and Freddie. Uh, historically, it only bought loans with really strong underwriting, uh, the, the highest quality, highest probability of repayment. Uh, but you're right, in 1992, it was the Housing and Community Development Act that required uh, Fannie and Freddie to make housing more affordable, uh, was what they called it. So now they were required <coughs> to have at least uh, 30% of the mortgage that they were per- mortgages that they purchased from the banks come from mortgages taken out by low to moderate income families and individuals. So basically, the government ordered them to start buying riskier loans or face the consequences. Uh, so what happened? The banks happily obliged by lending to people who were less credit worthy. And what did the banks care? They weren't on the hooks if the loan went bad. Fannie and Freddie were. Okay. Now, let's just go through this. Fannie Mae is the Federal National Mortgage Association, right? And what is Freddie Mac? What's the... Freddie Mac is the Federal Home Loan Mortgage Corporation, which uh, I wondered how they uh, translated that into Freddie Mac. Well, yeah, but um, so now Trump wants to uh, privatize these. And so so what's going to happen with the banks on this? Well, we'll see what happens. You know, one thing we forgot to mention, Kim, is it got even worse after the uh, the uh, Development Act, because in 2007, the government came and told them that now at least 50 percent of their mortgages had to come from riskier borrowers. And notice it said at least. It didn't say they were limited to only 50%. So, you know, what happened then? Well, now the banks would lend money to anybody that could fog a mirror. So <laughs> they, they got in big trouble. Uh, you know, there was a lot of uh, bonds out there that were ready to go uh, belly up in a big way. But uh, they've uh, Fannie and Freddie have always been implicitly backed by the government, and so the government bailed them out, uh, backed up most of the bonds, um, <clears throat> and they've paid back all the money that was used to bail them out. So since that happened, they've been required to forward all their profits and all the dividends on their preferred stocks to the U.S. Treasury, and that was called the sweep. Well, Trump says they've paid it back. 
They don't need us anymore. He wants to get them off the dole. So the plan, Kim, is to let them build up some capital, uh, maybe finance them, and uh, you know, maybe do a public offering, whatever. Uh, and then once again, let them buy loans that aren't high risk. Uh, let them let them make the choice. And and I think it's time. This takeover was never meant to be permanent that's for sure okay and just one other question on that jason and before we go to break then yeah. how how is this going to match up with like private lenders i mean is it do they still have an advantage or what's that going to look like exactly well fanny and freddie are not lenders uh fanny and freddie uh actually just buy loans uh fanny buys loans from big commercial banks and freddie buys loans from kind of the smaller thrift banks so they don't originate loans they just simply buy the loans off the bank's books uh which frees up more capital for the banks to make uh you know more loans so they're they're kind of the outlet where all of these loans go okay so you think this is a good idea i i don't think they need to be uh, managed by the government uh, anymore. The government's the one that got them into trouble in the first place. So now they've bailed them out. Uh, and yeah, put them back out and then let them try again, watch a little closer, and don't force them to buy loans that are going to blow up. And, there and then we, you won't have a problem. There we hear that word force. You know, we're talking about freedom versus force, force versus well, freedom all of the time, Jason McBride. Well, that's exactly what happened here. Well, okay. Hey, Jason, thanks so much. And I'm so excited about this event you and I are doing on uh, Monday night over at Waters Edge Winery, Nuts and Bolts. And if people want to sign up, they can go to my website, americhicks.com or chickspresidential.com. And it's going to be a great event as well. So we'd love to have you come out. It's going to be a really fun evening. All right. Have a great show, Kim. Okay. We'll talk to you soon. We're going to go to break. And uh, we just talked about government being involved in uh, mortgages. The other day we talked about... Uh, student loans. And of course, now there's this big movement towards single payer. Most all of the Democrat candidates are, are want some kind of socialized medicine, some kind of single payer. And uh, Chris Jacobs is uh, uh, a public policy expert, and he has an important book coming out. It's The Case Against Single Payer, How Medicare for All Will Wreck America's Healthcare System and its Economy. Very important conversation when we come back with Chris Jacobs. And this is Kim Munson. We'll be right back. Are you looking for news, not propaganda? Ready for a news source you can actually trust? How about a news site that doesn't want to sell you a subscription? Visit CompleteColorado.com to see all the latest news from around Colorado. Complete Colorado's staff scours news sources from around the state and nation to bring you only the top stories that affect you right here in our great state. Updated three times a day, CompleteColorado.com has full-time reporters doing original investigations and reporting like newspapers used to do as well as opinion and political commentary from a variety of Colorado voices. And CompleteColorado.com is the only place to read columnist Mike Rosen. Always fresh content, always free, always informed. CompleteColorado.com, your complete source for Colorado news. Don't miss Vino and Veritas, Wine and Truth, a study of the Federalist Papers. Join Kim Munson at Water's Edge Winery in Centennial or Colorado Cork and Keg in Castle Rock. In Fort Collins, attend Vino and Veritas at Ginger and Baker. Kim Munson would like to thank Presidential Wealth Management Loveland, Presidential Wealth Management Greenwood Village, Tina Francone with Straightforward Shooting, and Grand Lake U.S. Constitution Week for their generous support. Vino and Veritas, Wine and Truth, a study of the Federalist Papers. Sign up today. 
All AmeriChick sponsors are an exclusive partnership with the AmeriChicks and are not affiliated or in partnership with KLZ or Crawford Broadcasting. If you would like to support the work of the AmeriChicks with Kim Munson and grow your business, contact Kim at AmeriChicks.com. That's AmeriChicks.com. Hey, welcome back. I am Kim Munson. Let's have a conversation. We're going to have a conversation with Chris Jacobs. He has a very important book out, How Medicare for All Will Wreck America's Healthcare System and Its Economy. Chris Jacobs is a senior contributor at The Federalist. He's a healthcare policy expert. And it's great to have you here, Chris. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Okay, let's jump into this. Uh, it seems that uh, we continue to hear more and more about uh, single-payer health care, and, and uh, you know, we, we want to make sure everybody has health care and that they're taken care of, and most all of the Democrat, I think all of the Democrat candidates for president have some kind of, of plan for single-payer, but you say that it's not only bad for health care, it's, it's bad for America, but let's talk, uh, let, let's talk about health care first. Why would it wreck America's health care system? Sure. We, we've seen the examples in other countries, places like Canada, Great Britain. We've seen it in our own country with systems like, like the VA health clinics. Uh, veterans who survived wars, whether from um, the beaches of France in, in, in Normandy to Afghanistan, could not survive their contact with the VA bureaucracy. When we've seen other government systems, they control access to to treatments and care based on cost, and they impose a regulatory bureaucracy. And those two issues combined uh, result in much uh, poorer care given to patients. Okay, and the regulatory bureaucracy, I mean, I think that we can look at different industries as we look over our shoulder. We just had Jason McBride on with Presidential Wealth Management, and we're talking about the, the mortgage industry that when government came in with rules and regulations, it took, it took a little while, but it was disastrous in 2000, 2007, 2008 in the mortgage business. Then under the Obama administration, the takeover of the student loan program, the, um, you know, the, the debt has ballooned. We've got kids that, that have you know, a significant amount of debt. They don't have the job that they th- thought they were going to get. And once again, government got into that. Or we could look at the Postal Service. Uh, they had just some of the biggest losses that they've ever had. So the things that government is, is running is not going very well. So why would we think that we would want to have a single-payer health care system? Well, that's exactly right, Kim. And, and, and we've even, even seen this in the current health care system. Um, there was a recent expose that I mentioned in the book. Uh, Fortune magazine did about uh, electronic health records. And anybody who's been to the doctor lately knows that their doctor spends more time staring at a computer screen than they do uh, l- looking at them in the, in the examining room. Why? Because the Obama administration in the stimulus included these electronic health uh, records requirements. And so now you have physicians performing thousands of clicks, 4,000 clicks on average. The average ER doctor makes during one shift that's them taking care of the the government requirements not taking care of patients well and i think we need to roll that back the more that i see about data collection across the spectrum i i think we need to get back to the relationship is between the patient and the doctor um but you know chris it seems that people that um i i, I don't want to say are opposed to single-payer health care i mean inherently 
I understand why it ultimately will hurt people. But it seems that our politicians do not have a clear health care plan that, that, that everyday people say, okay, that makes sense. And, and so this whole romanticizing of a socialized, you know, a single-payer health care system, what is the answer that, that we need to be saying to people that is the better plan? Sure, and, and I actually spend the last chapter of my book outlining a, a better path forward and some, some simple principles uh, of how we need to reform the health care system because it's not perfect now. It certainly wasn't perfect before Obamacare to make things more affordable and accessible for patients. First of all, we need better solutions on pre-existing conditions. The pre-existing condition regulations under Obamacare have priced millions of people out of the market for insurance. We can do it in a better way to make health insurance more portable for individuals, that they own their health policy rather than than their employer, um, and and protect individuals with pre-existing conditions. We need to create a a sustainable safety net for our country, and that means making reforms to Medicare and Medicaid um, to to tackle our $21, $22 trillion in debt and make sure that we have a safety net for people who will need it most. And then we need to reform our our incentives in the system and realign the incentives because one problem in healthcare is that everybody is great at spending everybody else's money. Well, as Margaret Thatcher said over 40 years ago, sooner or later the socialists run out of other people's money. And ultimately it's going to come from, from each one of us that we need to, to, to realign the incentives to make sure that we're spent, we're each spending money wisely rather than just lavishly spending the government's money thinking it has no limit because it does. Okay, now I wanted to back up just a little bit. Um, pre-existing conditions, that seemed to be the thing that uh, the Obama administration, that, I, that resonated with people because health care A has gotten so expensive. So people say, what if, what if I... You know, you know, have something catastrophic that happens, cancer or uh, an accident or something catastrophic, and the healthcare costs are so expensive. And uh, and and you know, and say I might then possibly lose my healthcare coverage. It would bankrupt me if I have this pre-existing condition and can't get healthcare. And so that was something, you know, put fear in people's hearts where they're going, okay, yeah, maybe that is a good idea to have Obamacare. How do you answer that? Sure. I I think the problem right now is our health insurance system is designed for for third-party payment. And not just that, it's designed – most people get their health insurance through their employers. And we need health insurance that's portable that individuals own. The pre-existing condition problem in healthcare really comes from the fact that you don't own your own coverage, your employer owns, owns your coverage. And therefore, when you change jobs, you have to change coverage. Or God forbid, you come down with, a, with an illness and you can't work, and then you face the double whammy of losing your job and losing your health coverage at the same time. That's, that's an awful situation for anybody to face. Ultimately, we need to make health coverage more portable so that the individuals own their own health coverage. You get better choice because you would pick the health plan you want as opposed to the health plan your employer wants. 
and then you wouldn't have the problem of pre-existing conditions so much because if you buy your health plan, for instance, when you're in your 20s, you're in college, you're just out of school, and you can hold and keep that plan for years and years and years no matter what employer you go through, then you wouldn't face the problem of having to switch coverage and being denied because of a pre-existing condition because you can just have, have your plan for, for years. Okay. Now, we're going to go to break, Chris Jacobs. When we come back, I like that, but how do we get from here to there? Uh, and, and I think that that's an important question. But if we can get these things answered, and I imagine the answers are probably in your book, uh, what you, uh, how, um, let me give you the exact title on that. That is The Case Against Single Payer, How Medicare for All Will Wreck America's Healthcare System and its Economy. I bet those answers are there. But when we come back, how do we get from here to there? Because that makes a lot of sense. This is Kim Munson. We'll be right back. Award-winning realtor Karen Levine has 30 years of experience with REMAX Alliance. As a director with the National Association of Realtors, Karen Levine works to protect private property rights. Karen Levine believes in homeownership. Because of Karen's love of dogs, Karen volunteers with GER, Golden Retriever Rescue of the Rockies, helping Golden Retrievers find their forever homes. Choose Karen Levine to buy or sell your home because she understands that it's more than just a house. Karen Levine comes highly recommended by Kim Munson. Call award-winning realtor Karen Levine with REMAX Alliance today at 303-877-7516. That's 303-877-7516. This week at the 88 Drive-In, keep your windows rolled up and your vehicles locked because things are about to get creepy. Friday the 6th through Thursday the 12th, see three scary movies for $9. It, It Chapter 2, and Scary Stories. Monday through Thursday, get one 12-inch pizza served fresh and hot along with two 16-ounce sodas, all for only $12. Plus, new this week, sip on some hot apple cider along with a sweet, crunchy churro. We're open seven days a week so get directions now on the 88 drive-in facebook page or 88drivein.net hey welcome back i'm kim munson and let's have a conversation we are having a conversation with chris jacobs uh, he is a uh, public policy expert on health care, this important book, The Case Against Single Payer. Uh, it's great to have you, Chris. I love the idea of making health care portable, uh, but how how do we get from here to there when we have all of these employer-administered um, you know, insurance programs? How do we get, get away from that? Sure. The, the Trump administration recently released a regulation. Uh, I mentioned it in the book, and I've written about it at The Federalist, that would allow uh, employers to convert their existing employer plans into a defined contribution system. And what that means is that an employer would give, say, $300 a month or $500 a month, a set amount, into an account that the employee could then use to buy health coverage that they want rather than what the employer wants. And the employee could continue to do this on a tax-free basis, so they wouldn't have to pay federal, federal taxes on it. They would continue to get the, the, the tax subsidy provided to employer-sponsored plans. But then the employee would own and control that health plan, and they could take it with them from job to job. The administration's rulemaking says that uh, tens of millions of people would have access to these plans within the next several years. So I think that's something, if we can move to a more portable health uh, 
health insurance system where individuals own their own plan, that would certainly be a striking difference to the Democratic plan, which is to have the government control everything. Okay. Now, we had a listener that just texted me, and he said, type 1 diabetics are dependent on insulin pumps. So let's say somebody has that kind of a pre-existing condition. How, how would you address that? How do you think that should be addressed? Sure. And, and, and some people will have, as, as your listener mentioned, type 1 diabetics from birth, it's from childhood, you, you wouldn't necessarily, uh, you would have a develop, uh, develop a pre-existing condition very early in life. Um, there, there are certain way, way, there are other ways to treat that. Um, some of that are, are high-risk pools that we had prior to Obamacare. Um, they would require some state or federal funding for those with, with chronic illnesses. There's also direct primary care has become very popular uh, in recent years. Primarily because, as I mentioned in the last segment, doctors are so feel so oppressed by the government mandates, they want to get out of the government system, get out of the health insurance system, focus back on treating patients. If you end up in, in a system where um, patients like, like your listener with type 1 di- diabetes, they would get care directly from, from physicians, directly from uh, whether it's a, a physician practice or centers of excellence that are particularly good at treating, whether it's diabetes or congestive heart failure or specific conditions, those kind of, of solutions would, would help those who already have pre-existing conditions. The problem with Obamacare is that it imposed a one-size-fits-all solution, whereas the, the proposals I've outlined, both in, in the book and elsewhere, more tailored solution, try to use the scalpel instead of, of the hammer and the billy club to try to fix the problems that we have in our health system. Mm-hmm. You know, it's astounding to me, Obamacare, as we're seeing, it, it's, it's not working. There may be a few people that it's worked for, but overall it has not worked. And it was astonishing to me that we were actually going to penalize people for not buying something that they didn't want. I mean, that was almost historic to have that happen in America. And, of course, when Trump came in, he got rid of that, that individual mandate, which, uh, again, it's freedom versus force. You know, and, and uh, Trump was standing on the side of freedom. Obama was a takeover or an attempted takeover of the health care system. So it's astonishing to me now that we have Democrat candidates that are doubling down on that because it didn't work then. So if we double down on it, It'll doubly not work. Uh, I love your solutions. I'm going to get your book because I think that this is really important. We need to get our, our get out there instead of saying that doesn't work. We have to talk about what does work. One other thing, though, you say that a single payer healthcare system will also wreck the economy. How how do you come to that conclusion, Chris Jacobs? Sure, it's it's more than thirty trillion dollars in in government spending and higher taxes. That in and of itself will have a huge impact on the economy. Then you talk about the dislocation within the healthcare system. There are half a million people that work for health insurers in, in our country, more than. Some people don't like their health insurers, and they're a great punching boy and whipping boy, but eliminating the health insurance industry, putting half a million people out of work, is obviously going to cause dislocation for, for, for those individuals. Then you look at the dislocation with, within other elements of the healthcare system. There was an article in the Journal of the American Medical Association, very prestigious medical journal, earlier this spring that I mentioned in the book, suggests that 1.5 million jobs, job losses, could result 
just within hospitals from, from single payer. The purpose of single payer is that doctors and hospitals get paid less to treat more patients. That's the only way that, single, that the math will work under single payer. Well, as you would imagine, Kim, not many people want to pay, get paid less to, to do more work. Mm-hmm. And so there's going to be job losses within the hospital sector, within physician offices. All of those people will either get take pay cuts or end up getting laid off. That would be a, a massive a, a, a trauma to our economy. People are talking about whether or not we would go into a recession in the next few months or maybe next year. If you enact a single-payer system, that would be a prolonged recession because you could literally have millions of job losses resulting. Well, and it doesn't take a rocket scientist. If there's one and a half million people, less people working at hospitals and in the healthcare industry, then the quality of care is going to go down. And, exactly. And, uh, and we have, we, we've been, you know, we, we certainly have things we can complain about here in America, but the quality of our health care is, is really, really good. And so why would we wreck that? It comes down to, I think, in many ways, control. And that is picking winners and losers. And everyday hardworking people lose uh, if we would go to a single-payer health care system. So, again, the solutions would be, first of all, to make, uh, to make our health care, our insurance, portable, that we own it as individuals, not you know, through an employer. And then uh, certainly that will free up. If people are making those decisions, once again, about their, you know, which insurance company they're going to go with, it seems to me like that industry, we would have many more people coming or many more uh, businesses coming into that industry, creating jobs, a competition. And then the other thing is, is get, get a bunch of those rules and regulations, all those reports that your doctor has to do. It costs money. Uh, it costs time. And it takes away, as you mentioned, time that the doctor and the nurses can focus on you, the patient. And so those two things seem to make a lot of sense, Chris. Yeah, it, it, it's, again, as you mentioned, it's force versus freedom. The, the, Demo- the left's answer is always more government. Obamacare failed. It didn't lower premiums. So the answer is always more government, more government, more government. We need to put patients back in charge of their own health care decisions. And I think the American people will make smarter decisions and, and restore the doctor-patient relationship. Okay, well, this is a, such an important book. It is The Case Against Single Payer, How Medicare for All Will Wreck America's Healthcare System and Its Economy. So, Chris Jacobs, uh, what would be your final thought that you'd like to leave with our listeners this morning? I think we certainly educate yourself. This issue is very important. It will be an issue in the Democratic debate tonight. I, I can all but guarantee it. And you need to educate yourself and, and, and get the facts to arm yourselves with arguments against the left's health care takeover. You know, and I need to ask you one other question. Uh, many years ago, um, before the, the real, you know, the progressive movement that started back in, you know, the early 1900s here in America, it was charities that took care of people in need. Could we actually look to private charities to step in, like, like my friend that has type 1 uh, diabetes, could we lower taxes and have charities step in and start to address some of those chronic issues? 
I, I think that's certainly a better solution than a, than a one-size-fits-all all takeover of health care. This is the problem is that whenever the left promotes government-oriented solutions, they end up hurting the people that they most intend to help, whether that's people on Medicaid, which provides poor, poor quality coverage, whether that's people in rural areas that will see could see hospitals and medical facilities shut down under single payer. That's the problem that the government solutions end up harming the most vulnerable, and we need to help them, and there are better ways to do that. Well, and we've seen it. Government takeover of the mortgage industry, then the mortgage in- industry had big, big problems. We saw government uh, takeover of the student loan industry, and uh, we see what's going on with that, trillions and trillions of dollars in debt on that. And so why would we go for a trifecta and have uh, government takeover of our health care system? So Chris Jacobs, very important book, The Case Against Single Payer, How Medicare for All Will Wreck America's Health Care System and Its Economy. Chris Jacobs, thank you so much for being with me today. Thanks for having me. Okay, and our quote for today is Dr. Ben Carson. He said, healthcare is one-sixth of our economy. If the government can control that, they can control just about everything. We need to understand what is going on because there are much better economic models that can be used to give us good health care than what we have right now. So today, read great books, think good thoughts, listen to beautiful music, communicate and listen well, live honestly and authentically, strive for high ideals, and like Superman, stand for truth, justice, and the American way. This is Kim Munson signing off. God bless you, and God bless America.